0: Welcome to Can't Make This Up. My name's Kevin. I'm your host here. Happy Halloween. Uh, The season is upon us. I hope you've had a great October and you've enjoyed watching scary movies or decorating your house or going to the million trunk or treats there are to take your kids to. Um, I finally got to treat my kids to Ghostbusters. They've finally uh, gotten to see that and they loved it. I'm so glad for that. Uh, One of my favorite movies growing up. So uh, it's a great season. It's one of America's favorite holidays and uh, is definitely one of mine as well. Uh, So my guest today, uh, his name is Greg Melville. Uh, He is a journalist and he's written a very interesting book uh, about the dead, which is perfect for uh, this time of year. Uh, The book is called Over My Dead Body unearthing the hidden history of America's cemeteries. Uh, Greg has traveled the country looking at various cemeteries. Uh, He is uh, a self-described lover of cemeteries, and he finds them fascinating. Uh, So he looks at how we as Americans have buried our dead historically and how that's changed over time. Uh, He's looked at how uh, cemeteries can be viewed as works of art, uh, and how our relationship with death has changed over time uh, and how cemeteries have been used uh, as, as vehicles for, you know, remembrance for for national heroes and things like that. Uh, very interesting discussion today and I think uh, you won't be able to walk through a cemetery uh, w- looking at it the same way again. Uh, so I'm very excited to present this episode to you. Uh, if at the end of this episode, you are interested in picking up a copy of Over My Dead Body. There is a link for it down in the description of this episode in your podcast app. Uh, and then if you uh, enjoy the podcast, uh, this is you know something we do on a regular basis around here. I sit down with historians and journalists and I just chat about their latest work. Uh, it's not always related to death, but various historical topics from uh, across the board. Uh, so I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to this. Um, uh, give it a like uh, and stick around. We got some great stuff coming down, uh, coming down the pike. Um, if you'd like to follow along with the show on social media, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. All of them are at CMTU History. Uh, I'd love for you to follow. I'd love to hear from you, hear what you think about the show. Uh, and then you can stay tuned for news and updates. So... Uh, That being said, here is my interview with Greg Melville.
1: The You Can't Make This Up history podcast, bringing you strange but true things from the past. It's not the average history that you learned in school. We're bringing you the heroes and You're
0: listening to Can't Make This Up. I'm your host, Kevin, and my guest today is Greg Melville. Greg,
1: how are you? I'm good, Kevin. Thanks for having me. It's good to be talking to you today.
0: All right. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, um, I've heard you described as a cemetery expert. Uh, <laughs> so how does one become a cemetery expert? And tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Sure. I would, I would call myself more of a tombstone tourist. Okay. Uh, but, I I am a a longtime journalist, so I've been a newspaper reporter and magazine editor and freelance journalist for a number of years for a lot of different travel and outdoor magazines, uh, health and fitness magazines as well. And so uh, I really consider myself a traveler uh, and a writer and a journalist more than, than anything else. And Uh, My subjects that I write about, am I an expert on them? Well, I I do a lot of research and there are certain uh, subjects that I I am very passionate about. So I um, I clearly um, consider myself to be uh, well-versed in certain topics Uh, and being a tombstone tourist, I guess, is one of them.
0: So uh, you are the author of the book uh, Over My Dead Body, Unearthing the Hidden History of America's Cemeteries. Yes. Uh, This is a perfect history book for Halloween. Uh, What made you decide to write a book
1: on cemeteries? Sure. Well, before my senior year of college, uh, I spent the summer working for my town department of public works uh, in Massachusetts. And one of my main responsibilities was to work in one of the large town cemeteries that was founded in the mid-1800s. And during that summer, I, I, I mowed lawns, uh, and then I, uh, you know, on the property, and then I also uh, dug occasional graves. Uh, and uh, during that time, uh, I really gained an appreciation for cemeteries, uh, and they're more than just uh, places of remembrance, but they're these living, breathing, oftentimes growing uh, capsules of the past that we uh, have in every community. And uh, I really became fascinated by how they mark time and how they reflect our history, culturally, artistically, economically, uh, and in so many different ways. And it just became fascinating to me to explore as I worked uh, the different stories that the cemetery told. And so I realized also that every cemetery is like this. Uh, Every cemetery has a story and it's unique and uh, beautiful in its own way. And so that's how I really kind of became interested in cemeteries. And then as a a journalist, you know, I've I've written many, many, many articles for many different publications. I never really wrote uh, anything on cemeteries, but about, I guess about seven or eight years ago, there was an article in the New York Times about how in cities, cemetery space is running out. And it made me realize that. Uh, We only have finite space for these uh, places of rest, and um, eventually, uh, in a lot of different places, uh, cemeteries are moved, or uh, if there are um, cemeteries where people have not been buried for several generations, where no one even knows who's buried there, where they become forgotten, neglected, even removed... Uh, and I realized that uh, there was a story to tell there, and it took me a long time to figure out how to tell that story, but that's what Over My Dead Body is.
0: And, and to that point, you have, a, you have a really great line in your prologue that, that I really like that, that I underlined when I read it. Um, Graveyards across the country are the time capsules of our communities recording and sometimes even shaping America's winding forward path. Uh, I really like that. And that's a completely different way of looking at a cemetery that that I've never done before.
1: And what's kind of interesting is that uh, when I started doing research about different cemeteries, about places that had important impact on American history or somehow reflected American history in some unique and important way, was that there's very little research that's been done on cemeteries. These stories largely have never been told. And cemeteries have played an important part in American history if we look at them and and see what they've done and when they've done it. Um, Whether it's the first uh, conservation project uh, in American history at uh, a cemetery in Concord, Massachusetts that was uh, founded essentially by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson with some help from Henry David Thoreau and at that time the town was trying to stop uh, clear cutting of all of the forests for farms, and it was before. uh, America really changed its philosophy of nature as being something to. Well, at the time, the the philosophy was basically that nature is something to be conquered, not something to be preserved, Uh, but they had the foresight to see that. And so they created this cemetery in order to protect this forest on the edge of town or uh, how cemeteries were the first cultural battlegrounds in Europe uh, during the Cold War uh, with the United States or Gettysburg, uh, one of the early national cemeteries and how important that was as a symbol in the civil war effort. Uh, and even just the gettysburg address was a speech given by lincoln at the convocation of this cemetery um, there's so many different stories that when they're told from the perspective of the cemetery just opens up this kind of whole new world of history well uh let's dive
0: into that a little bit um you know it over my dead body. It's a it's a relatively short book, but it, you know you really pack a punch with it. There's a lot of information in here and and a lot of good stories. We uh, obviously won't have time to cover everything, but but let's dive into a few of those. So, what about, what about the first cemeteries uh, here in in America? What were the first cemeteries like?
1: Well, if you go back to to D- Jamestown or or Plymouth, uh, the early colonists. They were more just uh, matters of necessity more than anything else. They were at Jamestown within the the fort walls, people were basically hastily buried uh, and um, the actual sites of where people were buried were never marked because they didn't want anyone on the outside anyone from the, the indigenous population who might be watching them to know how many people had died, uh, during those early years in Jamestown and something very similar happened in Plymouth. Um, and what's kind of ironic is, uh, the way people were buried at that time, uh, is it, we've kind of almost come full circle in some respects, uh, in, in burial practices with some of the newer natural burials that, uh, that we see in, uh, cemeteries in some cemeteries today but yeah uh really during that time uh the burial practices were very different uh, than than the ones we know today there were no uh embalming methods uh people um there were generally weren't headstones certainly not permanent headstones placed uh, at grave sites at that time except for for really important people uh and um really the burial methods in the United States have been an ever-evolving system, really, that is continuing today.
0: And so you you mentioned the uh, indigenous populations around. Um, You know, unfortunately, you know, the Native American burial ground has become kind of a a trope for ghost stories. Um, But but what can you tell us about uh, America's indigenous uh, populations' burial practices and you know, modern efforts to protect those.
1: Sure, and, and I get into that. The second chapter is about Plymouth, and really what I, I say is that the arrival of the uh, pilgrims uh, really began kind of our nation's long and uninterrupted history of desecration of native graves, uh, and it started with the, the pilgrims before they came to Plymouth. They stopped on Cape Cod, and they raided um, they raided some burial sites of the, the local indigenous population for the corn that was buried uh, with some bodies, uh, and that's how the pilgrims originally uh, survived the first winter. We were off the stores that they they took from, they grave robbed from, and um, but really the um, the traditions uh, for uh, indigenous burials are are. Uh, as varied as the, uh, the regions of the country. Uh, and so it's, it's really hard to, to pin down, uh, any one, um, kind of traditional burial, but, um, oftentimes, uh, a lot of the, um, there, there were basically, you know, interments, uh, and, uh, there were, uh, scaffold burials, uh, that were popular uh, or common uh, in the Southeast uh, uh, during, in Jamestown when when the first settlers went there that they recorded. um, And then um, some similar burial uh, practices uh, took place up in the Northeast uh, uh, when the uh, Pilgrims arrived there. But uh, when the Pilgrims had arrived uh, in the Northeast uh, in 1620, Uh, 90% of the Indigenous population of the Northeast had been wiped out by by plague that had been brought by Europeans in the the earlier years. Mm
0: -hmm. There's quite a bit of effort to preserve these burial grounds, isn't there?
1: There's some, right? So there was the 1990 uh, Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. And you mentioned... um, the, the kind of, the, the, the trope from the 1980s and 1990s. And really there was this kind of, in American culture, this, this bubbling up of, of guilt that reached the American psyche over uh, the desecration of people's graves uh, for generation upon generation upon generation. And it kind of reached into popular culture. And then there became this legislation, uh, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, where uh, there was this concerted federal effort to uh, assist in um, repatriating the bones of Indigenous people that had been removed from their graves or raided or robbed over time. Like you take even uh, uh, Usa Mequin or Massasoit, uh, who was the leader of the, the Wampanoag people who greeted the pilgrims uh, in the early 1620s. And his, he was considered the, the father of Thanksgiving. And uh, his grave was uh, desecrated. Uh, and his bones were removed. Um, and they were only re- to make way for the construction of a railroad. Uh, and his bones were only remo- uh, repatriated and, and brought back you know, this century it's it's pretty remarkable the uh, continual and ex, uh, continually large extent to which uh, a lot of the very sacred burial grounds and in, uh, in what is now the United States have been wiped out or leveled or uh, erased altogether.
0: What about art? One thing that you know I found interesting is you talk quite a bit about, viewing cemeteries as, as art and that cemeteries helped fuel art in places like New York. Um, you know, when I've gone through uh, a cemetery, you know, I don't really think of it as I'm going through, uh, you know, anything like an art museum, but, but you present a different way to look at it.
1: Yes, I, when you think about the art that is in cemeteries, it's, it's really just immense. Uh, and Greenwood Cemetery, To do, and the public had no access to it. But when uh, Greenwood was created, um, this rural cemetery with these beautifully sculpted grounds, um, there became kind of this competition among people who were buried there to have magnificent art commissioned uh, as uh, memorials uh, uh, for people, whether it's statues or or gravestones or uh, mausoleums and tombs. And so um, some of the great art, American artists at that time were being hired to create these artworks that marked graves. Uh, and uh, for a long time, uh, Greenwood Cemetery was the second most popular tourist attraction in New York, really in the United States, uh, besides uh, Niagara Falls. Uh, and um, Greenwood itself has continued this tradition of art even today. They have a massive collection of different artworks. They're always um, having different displays and exhibits, and they have an artist in residence. It's a place that inspired Walt Whitman, uh, who lived in Brooklyn at the time, and it's a place where a lot of artists uh, are also buried.
0: You know, is it fair to say that, that people listening, no matter where they are, Um, could go through a local cemetery and kind of see examples of um, artistry at work?
1: Of course, yeah, absolutely. When you think about it, um, like the the Metropolitan Museum of Art uh, in New York City, the very first piece that they acquired for their collection in the late 19th century was a piece of funeral art. It was ancient funeral art, but for some reason we consider art from you know, millennia ago to be, uh, funeral art at least, to be something that we could put on a shelf somewhere or display in a museum. Uh, But we don't necessarily consider funeral art that is created today to be the same way, but it is. Uh, When you look at some of the amazing uh, sculptures in a lot of uh, cemeteries across the country, you realize the meticulous work that went into it uh, and uh, the artistry involved. Uh, and then it's always combined with uh, some magnificent uh, landscaping, which is art in itself. Um,
0: yeah, that, that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. We do bring cemetery funeral art into an art museum and view it as art, but we don't do that with funerary art in our own our own age.
1: Right. But someone will someday.
0: True. Very good point. Two, 300 years from now, they'll look at it as in completely different light. So, you know, the most traumatic event, you know, maybe in American history is the the Civil War. And it, you know, it changed a lot in in the country, Um, including, um, you know, the the act of burying the dead and um, the role of cemeteries in the nation. Um, How did the Civil War affect that?
1: So the Civil War affected everything as far as the Uh, act of memorializing a loved one in the United States is concerned, and that remains the same up to literally today. Um, So during the Civil War, uh, there was this uh, soul-searching, for lack of a better term, that went on uh, with regards to the the casualties uh, that were incurred. Uh, In the North, people were uh, fearful about the, their loved ones who died on the battlefield, who they um, believed were not being afforded a good death, because at that time, a traditional good death was where you died at home, someone recorded your last words, your loved ones um, came and, and Uh, you were displayed basically in what was then called the parlor or the death room in in your house or home. And then you were taken to uh, the local churchyard usually and and buried there or the burial ground at your house of worship. And then uh, that was one of the steps basically to salvation that this, this good death uh, in, in your final moments. But if you are buried, if you, you die anonymously, in a grisly death on a battlefield, then um, how are you able to attain this good death, or at least in the eyes of um, you know the American public? So it really caused a lot of concern on the part of families in the North. Like, why are we supporting this war um, or sending our children to this war uh, to die? If there's no salvation for it, no matter how just the cause. And so that was something that Lincoln had to to grapple with. And it's actually something that he kind of defined in the Gettysburg Address when he talks about consecrating this hallowed ground and how um, the war dead did that, when also talking about how morally imperative it is to end slavery, essentially, in his words. And um, in the Gettysburg Address, and how it, how vital it is to keep the Union together, and uh, and that was really important. Th- that moment, he never traveled outside of uh, Washington D.C. at that time, but he came to the convocation of uh, the Gettysburg National Cemetery uh, in order to um, give this speech and redefine the good death, and that was one really important step. Um, this this notion that um, the war dead can still die a good death. Um, but then also the civil war changed uh, changed how we even bury people today because um, what uh, Lincoln also did was he had um, he had people, the, the war dead, uh, a lot of them embalmed uh, so that they could be sent home to their families and buried uh, at home and have proper funeral services. And so this cottage industry of embalmers suddenly arose. Embalming was not a practice that was uh, done widespread anywhere. And even today, embalming is only in a few countries, uh, usually English-speaking countries, including the United States. And um, when the war ended, these embalmers, who were usually the cabinet makers who were making the caskets, um, they then were looking for new customers. So they turned toward the general public and sold them on the idea of embalming the dead so that loved ones from further distances could come and visit the dead before they were buried. Uh, and that's how the modern industry of embalming arose. But it was also how kind of the modern death industry, as we know it today, that is uh, can be uh, quite uh, costly in some, some instances and, and very elaborate, really arose, kind of the the capitalism of of death arose after that.
0: Yeah, you, uh, later on in the book, you you introduced me to a new term that I hadn't heard before, the death industrial complex, uh, which was an interesting term. Uh, Can you tell us uh, how that arose? Uh, Well,
1: basically, um, really in the 20th century, the strategies for how to monetize the death industry really took off in, in very in a bunch of different ways. But uh, really um, what happened was there were cemeteries like uh, um, Forest Lawn in uh, Los Angeles, where there was a handful of visionary cemetery purveyors who kind of changed the entire landscape, if you will, and uh, monetized death in a new way, kind of combining uh, different um, services under one roof uh, from selling uh, life insurance and uh, flowers and uh, mortuary services uh, all within one roof. And then also kind of selling eternal Uh, what would be a a good term for it, eternal security by pre-selling graves, because uh, a cemetery can be extremely profitable in some respects, given that uh, people are buying very tiny parcels of land for a lot of money. But the problem is that uh, it takes a long time to fill. But if you are selling these plots ahead of time, then you are making money a lot earlier. Uh, And so this aggressive pre-sale strategy also uh, took place uh, during that time. And uh, it it took a while for uh, Congress and the federal government to kind of catch on and put up some regulation, but it did change kind of the capitalism of the death industry quite a bit uh, to the point where today, There are a very small number of companies that own a a large percentage, a a substantial percentage of funeral homes and uh, only a couple of casket makers. If you really want to get into the details who own more than half of or or, or control more than half of the casket selling business in the um, or manufacturing business in the country. Uh, and I, and I think you know everything
0: that that you've just outlined in in the history will resonate with anybody who's who's ever had to to do this before. um you know my, myself included, um, who's had to been involved in planning a funeral or paying for a funeral. Uh, just the the sticker shock of it all.
1: right. And it's something that um, and of course okay. there are there are very there plenty of very scrupul- scrupulous people who are in the business as well. But, uh, you know, a mourning family is usually one that is very vulnerable. Uh, and so it, it, it actually w- would be and is very easy to kind of take advantage of, of families. There, there's never been uh, really any assistance for um, people in need for burials, uh, until COVID actually, and the the federal government as part of its relief uh, started subsidizing people who are on a need basis uh, to cover the costs of burials. But it's it's always been something that has been placed on the shoulders of the cost has been on on the people who, on the loved ones who are, who have just lost someone.
0: Hmm. Um, well, Greg, the, the last thing I wanted to, to ask you is, um, you know, we in modern America tend to really have a distant relationship with death uh, compared to other eras where death was much more familiar and they had a much more intimate relationship with it. So I guess I just wanted to ask you, you know, what do you you hope that book does uh, in in helping Americans cope with this, this inevitable part of life?
1: Well, really, I kind of, you know, not to give away the ending, but I really try and stress that, uh, you know, what ultimately is most sacred is, is, is what we do in life and who we do it for. Um, But I I think that, the last few years, uh, the kind of nat- national trauma that we've gone through has changed uh, people's relationships with our mortality. Uh, and it has created uh, a great deal more interest in cemeteries and, and in confronting some of these issues. And cemeteries, uh, I generally think of myself as, as, an, as a travel writer, but then also as an environmental writer. And the story of cemeteries is ultimately a story of land use and how we are using this finite resource that we have uh, um, and and what we're going to do with it in the future and whether it's going, whether memorialization is all going to be something that's digital or uh, something that involves a a permanent place in the ground. And what is permanent? Uh, And I think that these are questions that are coming coming up more and more now as we are kind of ha- gaining a different perspective on mortality than perhaps we'd had before uh, 2019.
0: Uh, well, Greg, you know, I really enjoyed uh, talking uh, to you about, uh, about your book. Again, the book is Over My Dead Body, a, a very fascinating history on cemeteries. Um, there, of course, there's a lot more that we didn't chat about today. So, if people wanted to pick up a copy of your book or learn more about you and your other work, where can they go?
1: Well, they can go to my website, uh, gregmelville.com. dot uh, and then they can. I have you can find my social media accounts from there. Um, you can find the book wherever books are sold. Basically, I'm I'm a big proponent of shopping local and and supporting local businesses and in your local uh, booksellers. But uh, you can find the book just about through any any type of bookseller. Uh, but uh, Kevin, I also just want to say, it's been a pleasure talking to you and you're right. I could talk all day about this. So <laughs> there's so much more that I could say, but uh, I appreciate, uh, the, uh, chance to talk to you.
0: Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Can't Make This Up. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Greg Melville. Uh, big thank you to Greg for taking the time uh, to speak with me about his book. Um, I know we kind of had to make our schedules work out really quick to get this out for Halloween. So I'm I'm very uh, grateful that he was able to, to accommodate that. Um, again, if you'd like to pick up a copy of Over My Dead Body, uh, there's a link for it down in the description of this episode. If you're new around here, I hope that you'll stick around. Uh, Got some great stuff uh, lined up. Doing a conversation later today, in fact, uh, with Steve Kemper. Uh, He has written a book called Our Man in Tokyo uh, about the American ambassador in Japan uh, in the 1930s in the lead up to Pearl Harbor. Um, So, really excited to talk to him about that and get that episode out to you guys uh, in a couple weeks. Um, also looking ahead, uh, have a conversation lined up, uh, looking at, uh, we're going way back into ancient Egypt. Uh, we're going to be talking, uh, about the reign of the Pharaoh Akhenaten. Uh, so I can't wait for that. never done anything on Egypt on the podcast before. I want to try to get into more ancient history. Ancient history is just fun. Um, so I'm gonna try to bring some more of that stuff in as we go forward. So, Uh, Until next time, I hope you have a, a great and happy Halloween. Bye.